Tonight, why should guys have all the fun when women can be just as successful? Meet the Asian American mogul who ran a billion dollar business all while raising two girls on her own. How she's now inspiring other women to find happiness and fulfillment in their work and their life. Metrofocus starts right now. This is Metro Focus with Raphael P. Roman, Jack Ford, and Jenna Flanagan. Metro Focus is made possible by Sue and Edgar Wackenheim III, Philomen M. D'Agostino Foundation, the Peter G. Peterson and Joan Gans Cooney Fund, Bernard and Denise Schwartz, Barbara Hope Zuckerberg, and by Jody and John Arnhold. Dr. Robert C. and Tina Sohn Foundation, the Ambrose Monell Foundation, Estate of Roland Carlin. Good evening and welcome to Metro Focus. I'm Jack Ford. So, why should guys have all the fun when women can be just as successful? That's the question that celebrated lawyer, philanthropist, and author Lloyda Lewis asks in her new memoir. Born in the Philippines, through hard work and dedication to her family and to her faith, Lloyda went on to become immensely successful, both professionally and personally. Her accomplishments are wide-ranging, from becoming the first Asian woman exam without ever attending a U.S. law school, to shepherding a multinational corporation to record earnings after her husband, famed businessman Reginald Lewis, passed away. Joining us now, then, in honor of International Women's Day, is one of America's leading female executives and the author of Why Should Guys Have All the Fun? An Asian-American story of love, marriage, motherhood, and running a billion-dollar empire, Lloyda Lewis. And Lloyda joins us as part of our Chasing the Dream initiative on poverty, justice, and economic opportunity in America. Lloyda, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jack, for having me. It, it's a it's a very interesting and compelling story that you tell here. Um, I mentioned to you I had met your husband before he he sadly passed away at an early age, and and seeing your parallel lives and how they joined together, it's just a fascinating story. So I'm going to ask you the the question that we ask just about all authors, and that is, why tell your story and why did you want to tell it now? Well, since Mr. Lewis died 30 years ago, I have been promoting his book, Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun? How Reginald Lewis Created a Billion Dollar Business Empire. And it has inspired a lot of people, especially African-American men, to reach the height of whatever is their dream. And so after 30 years, I was chapter six in his book. I said, I might as well tell my story because I was approaching the big 8-0. Yes, I turned 80 last year. And that's why I decided to call his co-author, Blair Walker, and say, Blair, you know half of my story. Let's tell the other half. And that's why I decided, let's do it. Now, I, I do want to mention the book is being released um, the end of, of this month, end of March, uh, publishers, Wiley Company. Um why was it important to you that this book be released? March is Women's History Month. Uh, March 8th is International Women's Day. Why was it so important to you to have those join together? 
Yes. The title is Why Should Guys Have All the Fun? Because I want women especially to read the book and see that we women have inner powers that others, that men do not have. So we don't have to be a man. We remain women, but there are things that we can do. What's that story? What's that song? Whatever you can do, I can do better. <laughs> we can do differently. So I don't want women to be august and to be afraid and to be, you know, oh, I can't do it. Think positive. Whatever is the challenge in front of you, take it. We can do it. And that's such an important message. I, I have a daughter who is a cancer surgeon, a GYN oncologist. And I've always believed that as a woman, as a cancer surgeon dealing with women's cancers, she brings something. It's not that 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 other male surgeons wouldn't, but she brings something, as you said, that women bring that is, is different. Uh, what did you find? I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here, and then I'll come back and talk about some of your personal story. We talked about the, the untimely death of your husband. Reginald Lewis, at, at the age of 50, he had been heralded as the, the first black man to own a company worth a billion dollars. And after he passed away, there was a period when, when his brother took over the company, and then you did. And you have a chapter in your book, and the chapter is titled, From Mrs. Lewis to Madam Chair. Talk about that transition, what, what, it, what you had to do and how you felt you were capable of doing that. Yes. Well, first of all, Mr. Lewis had a plan that his brother would take over and uh, and then they would elect a, a, a CEO. So Mr. Uh, after a year, but they basically, Jack, it took me a year, to re six months to really just, you know, get myself together because it was cataclysmic that he died at such a young age. We were supposed to grow old together. And so, Jean, I'll always be grateful to Jean Fugit, my, my brother-in-law, because in spite of his grief, he took over as CEO. But it was always the plan to elect or to choose experienced CEO. And we were interviewing five. All of them are white. Not that I have anything against Caucasians. But, you know, it is known as the largest Black-owned company on BE100. Yes, they are asking a lot of money. That's also no problem. Yes, they're going to take something big. But when I asked them, so can you make it successful? And the answer was, I'll try my best. So in my mind, try your best. What if it fails? So I'll be pointing, why did you do that? So in the end, after before the board of directors meeting and after prayer, it was very clear take responsibility for myself and my family, take it over. So if it fails, it's my fault, not pointing to anybody, three, pin three fingers point at me. And if it succeed, it's because I have been wise enough to choose people who are better than me and run it to Mr. Lewis aim, which was to create wealth. So and, and you had your great success, you grew its earnings at some point in time, Time, you decided, as the company did, to navigate a sale uh, of the company. Uh, but certainly, it, it was extraordinarily successful. So my question to you, and, and this ties into why you wrote this book, um, why let, let, let's have women have the same kind of success. As you look back on it, with the clarity of hindsight, what do you think you brought to that position as a woman 
that allowed you to be successful in in your shepherding of the company through that period of time? Well, first of all, I was married to Mr. Lewis for 24 years. All right. So I have been a good listener. You know, I don't say much, but I listen. And that's such a great skill, by the way. I think an underrated skill, the ability to listen. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. When especially when you're talking, you know, and with your loved ones, and I'm talking to men and women. Okay, you are a team. You're not going to fight against each other. What kind of team is that? You will surely fail. So a spouse to one another, you are a team. So I know my role because he is the rocket ship. And so I have to listen eloquently so that if there's something I could add, I could say something. So I knew more or less his goals. Number three, why why was I successful? Because I, I use common sense. When I took over, we were close to bankruptcy. So what do you do? Your income is down. It was the worst recession in Europe. Your expenses are so high. Common sense. Cut expenses. Increase income. So for expenses, I had to lay off half of our corporate staff. And for our growth, I hired McKinsey to and because I knew it anyway. One aspect of the grocery business in France was growing by leaps and bounds. And so you encourage that. You, you sell those that are not performing. Right. I mean, it's using common sense. But right. the third thing so, is and, that and, 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 and I think the important thing is sometimes what we realize is common sense is not as common as it should be. <laughs> we oftentimes see that. Can I, yeah. I want to jump in because I, 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 there's some things that you put in, in the end of the book. You have some five insights that you offer for people. And, and I won't have time to get to all of them, but I think they're important. Of insights you're offering to other women, using you in, in essence as a model. One of the things you talk about is, is you that women can be powerful without emulating the negative behavior of men. How do women, how should women be doing that? Well, I, I don't, I, I'm not talking about all women. I'm just talking right. about myself, okay? Oh. I was successful. I remained myself. I don't curse. I don't have to say the you know bleep 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 words. Why? Because it's not effective. You know, you act on what is effective. I don't think cursing is effective. Mm -hmm. But anyway, that's what I did. Okay. Number two, you treat people as you want to be treated. All right. So you know you don't body uh, with a email. So when I started to lay off people, I talked to each one of them and I saw to it that they are in a good place. I gave them a very good separation pay. And for our support staff, I saw to it that they are transferred to, you know, to, to other places that need their skills. So in other words, be to your own self, be true, but you know where your goal is. Yeah. All right. Sometimes the goal uh, changes. But right. just know where you're going. Yeah. And, and so you mentioned what, what, one of your insights, and it ties into that. You talk about it, be flexible in setting your goals. Why is that so important? Got about, <laughs> got about two minutes well, here, but why is no, that so important? No, okay. Not only running the company, but, you know, in my own life, I was going to be a nun. I was raised by, you know, I went right. to school, interned with a nun. But my mother was very instructive. Loida, your second year law school you have two more years to go. Why don't you finish that? So when you want to be a nun, you will, you know, because the 
the uh, Notre Dame de Vie allows you to work according to your career. So when you're in the convent, you know, you're you're a lawyer. If you go out of the convent, you're still a lawyer. Your merchandise is in your head. So that's one rule. You start something, better finish it. But, you know, something comes along. I finished law. I went to the United States. And that's where I met my husband, Reginald Lewis, on a blind date. So, yes, be flexible. You know, seize the moment. Be there at the present moment. And then, you know, use your head, but follow your heart. Those are, those are great pieces of advice um, that you have given. Um, I, again, I've got about a minute here. Right. Question for you is what What do you want? One piece of, of, of information that you want somebody to come away from, come away with after they've read your book, what would it be? Okay. I think for us women, well, men too, know who you are. Mm-hmm. All right? Know who you are. And if you think that you are no good, you're not, Hey, tomorrow is another day. You can start, okay? And be the person that you want to be the best version of yourself. Because in my faith, we are God's children. We are the children of God, daughters of God. So we should be like that, you know? So in terms of dressing up, you don't dress like a... You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you dress, you know, comport yourself properly. In other words, just have a best version of yourself in front of your eyes and then proceed in three things on your personal level. You know, are you eating too much? Mm. Are you overweight? Okay. Number two, on your uh, positivity. Mm -hmm. Are you positive in thinking when you're going to something, you're already thinking, oh, I fail. You fail already. Once you you fail, you fail. Okay. And number three, spiritually. Okay. Have faith. Have faith in God. And yeah, that's that. that's wonderful advice for anybody doing anything. Um, so, uh, Loretta, thank you so much once again. Uh, the, it's a book is a wonderful read. It's called "Why Should Guys Have All the Fun: An Asian American Story of Love, Marriage, Motherhood, and Running a Billion Dollar Empire." Loretta Lewis, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's been a delight to talk with you. You be well now. Thank you. It's on Amazon.com. All right. <laughs> thank you. Take care now. Thank you, Jack. Good evening and welcome to Metro Focus. I'm Jack Ford. On November 22nd, 1963, the nation and the world were shocked by the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Just two days later, the nation was shocked yet again when the accused assassin, Lee Harvey Oswald, was gunned down on live television by Dallas businessman Jack Ruby. Jack Ruby's subsequent murder trial, rather than being the slam dunk you would have expected since It was witnessed by tens of millions of people live, turned out to be a chaotic theatrical event, resulting in questions, controversies, and conspiracy theories that continue to resonate today. Now, a new book by bestselling David Fisher titled Kennedy's Avenger, Assassination, Conspiracy, and the Forgotten Trial of Jack Ruby tells the story, takes a deep dive into the issues, the personalities, and the questions that still remain. And we're delighted to have Dan Abrams now joining us to talk about this book. Dan, among so many other things, the uh, chief legal affairs correspondent for ABC News, the host of the Dan Abrams Show, where politics meet the law on Sirius XM, and most important for me, a very good friend for many, many decades. (laughs) Dan, welcome. Always good to see you. 
Jack, great to be back with you as always. So let, let's talk about this book now, right? Now, this is the, the fourth one that you all have done that looks at famous personalities and trials that helped to shape the contours of who they were. In many instances, trials that very few people know about. So you get to this case now, Jack Ruby involves Lee Harvey Oswald, the death of President Kennedy. So what was it about this story that made you say, okay, this is the one we want to tell now? So we had just you know, finished our third book on the, uh, the, the John Adams representing the British soldiers uh, in the Boston Massacre case. We'd previously done a sort of surprisingly unknown story where Teddy Roosevelt was sued. And before that, the last major case Abraham Lincoln had argued as a, as a lawyer. All cases that somehow become a footnote to history, all involving presidents. And David Fisher and I are talking about um, John F. Kennedy's assassination. We're like, you know, there was no trial, of course, because of Lee Harvey Oswald. And I think it was I who said to him, what happened with Jack Ruby's trial? We were like, both looked at each other and said, how, how do we, you and I, not know uh, more about what happened in Jack Ruby's trial? And, you know, me as the, you know, as the legal guy, right, um, and David as a historian, et cetera, said, let's, let's dig in a little bit here. Every piece we brought out of it, we said, this trial is so rich. There is so much here um, from celebrity lawyers, celebrity witnesses, the jailbreak that occurs during the trial, um, this effectively became the Kennedy assassination trial. Many of the conspiracies came out of this. We said, oh, we've got to do this one. This is, this is amazing. And the one thread between all of our books has been that there's a transcript of, of the trial that serves as the, as the heart of the book. So when you look at this book, and, and again, I was in, actually saw the live coverage of Jack Ruby gunning down Lee Harvey Oswald. I, I was astonished by looking and saying and not being sure what I was seeing as a as a grammar school student. And I thought I knew a lot about this case. But I will tell you that, as with your other books, I go through this constantly saying, wow, I didn't know that. And I turned the page this morning and said, oh, I didn't know that either. So that there are great things that you've discovered here. Let me start with asking you to give a quick rundown of some of the personalities involved. Yeah. Who is Jack Ruby? You mentioned celebrity lawyer, the judge involved. Tell us something about them. So uh, a low-level uh, business owner, uh, meaning he owned a, a sort of a strip club. And I say strip, meaning, you know, in today's, it would be viewed as pretty tame. Um, but back in the day, it was kind of seedy, et cetera. But, you know, a lot of cops went there. He was very close with police officers, always wanted to be relevant, Um was a big mouth, um, thought of himself as kind of a tough guy, um, really wanted to, was very into being uh, Jewish and the fact that he wanted to show that Jews can be tough guys. Uh, one of his best friends growing up was Barney Ross, uh, the, the famous, world famous boxer um, who actually ended up testifying in the trial <clears throat> on behalf of Ruby. Um, the prosecutor in this case was Henry Wade of Roe versus Wade fame later on. Um, but um, he was a classic, well-liked uh, Texas uh, prosecutor, um, assisted by another uh, similar named Bill Alexander. Um, and the defense, though, is kind of where the, the action was happening, so to speak, uh, in Melvin Belli. Uh, Melvin Belli, at the time, was arguably the most famous lawyer in America. Now, he didn't typically do criminal trials. He'd done some. Um, he'd done some, including some similar, he would argue, to this one. 
but he was a showman um, and he loved to put on a show. Uh, this is a guy who would do he did a lot of personal injury cases with a lot of demonstrative evidence um, to try to show the jurors exactly uh, what happened. And he wanted this trial um, because it was the most famous trial in America um, at the time. So you had these these characters uh, with Belli and, and Ruby prosecutors, a lot of the witnesses that, that you know, made this that had all the sort of makings of a of a big story. And and I will tell you that the thing, though, that shocked us most right, in looking at all the stuff for this case was that literally with the world's media at this case, right, effectively the Kennedy assassination, case, everyone's there. There's a jailbreak that occurs four stories above with a with a guy who's literally in jail at the courthouse, creates a gun out of soap, takes hostages and walks them right past the media with this gun at this woman's back. And, you know, you have members of the media calling in saying there's a jailbreak. And, you know, the other side saying, what? You're covering the Ruby case. Yeah, I know. I know. There's a. F, you know, there's a jailbreak going on in front of me. Uh, and you know, so that's the sort of thing that was happening during this trial. You mentioned that and, and you write in your book about the fact that that, you know, the, the Dallas Police Department had gotten repeated warnings from the FBI about possible attacks on Lee Harvey Oswald. And essentially repeatedly they said, no, we got this. You know, we got this until they didn't, as, as you describe it here. Let me, let me talk about the trial. Right. Because. Again, most people, I'm sure, would have looked at this and said, wait a minute, he did this on live television. What kind of a defense could you possibly have? And yet, as, as you mentioned, you had a theatrical defense attorney. Um, you had some big, bigger-than-life personalities in Dallas. And you had a trial where there was a defense. What was it for Jack Ruby? So what the defense could have been would have been the more straightforward defense. Would have been to say, did it? Kind of lost it uh, for a moment, saw that smirk on Oswald's face. <clears throat> I loved John Kennedy. In a moment, I just I shot him and, and I don't know what happened. If that had been his defense and the jury believed it, which I think they probably would have, he could have been out in less than five years. Instead, Melvin Bell. Because you say less than five years, most people would think, wait a minute, that's a murder. But right. But in Texas at the time, murder without malice. Correct. Give that kind of a minimal sentence. Correct. It was effectively like manslaughter, as we know today. And the sentence for that is significantly lower. Uh, so it would have been two to five years uh, for um, murder without malice. If you go for the whole thing, you could get convicted and get the death penalty. Right. And Melvin Belli decided he wanted to pursue an insanity defense and not just an insanity defense. But the defense was that Jack Ruby suffered an epileptic seizure that put him into what he called a fugue state, meaning he, he like literally could not remember what happened, that he had no memory of the event itself, which, if the jury believed it, would be not guilty by reason of insanity. And he went for it all, as opposed to going for the, the more measured defense, which his initial attorney, Tom Howard, uh, had encouraged him to do. Talk about, give us a sense of it, because you go into them in great detail in the book. I mean, people need to, to, to follow that and, and to, to understand them. 
but talk about some of the, the, the controversies, some of the conspiracy theories that began to emerge during the course of, of this case. And I think a lot of them were based on questions that went unanswered, right? At one point, um, the defense says to the prosecution, we'd like, to stipulate, we'd like you to stipulate that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. We're not stipulating to anything. Oh, hmm. Why? What does that right. suggest to all the what media, which would have been you and me in present it, day, totally scribbling right. down our notes, right? Totally right. Um, another case where an FBI agent was questioned um, and asked, do you, do you have any evidence of a link between Oswald and Ruby? Objection. Question goes unanswered. Um, aha. Another, another missing piece in the potential conspiracy uh, link. There were pieces of conversations that someone would overhear with Ruby on the phone on the Saturday before uh, he killed Oswald, um, which sounded like he was plotting, right? Of course, later on, we learned he was talking to a radio reporter. But regardless, at that moment, there was a lot of questions, with a lot of people saying they might have seen something, et cetera. And this trial, I think, in many ways, fueled a lot of those conspiracy theories. Just got about a minute left here, but real quickly, how how often did people hear from Jack Ruby before he died about this? Well, he spoke about this a number of times. Um, and, and not only did he speak to the Warren Commission, which was investigating um, on behalf of the government what actually happened at length, he demanded a lie detector test. He kept saying to Earl Warren himself, sir, I need you to get me a lie detector test. Earl Warren kept saying, just, okay, okay. Just we need you to answer our questions. And Warren actually got him the lie detector test, which he said he regretted later. But Jack Ruby then sat separately for a lie detector, answered all the questions that everyone has. But for whatever reason, you know, you have a lot of people who still don't want to believe a word yeah. that came out of Jack Ruby's mouth. Yeah. Well, again, that was another one of those fascinating moments that I didn't know about. Jack Ruby talking to Chief Justice Orr <laughs> and saying, let me tell you my side of the story here. Dan, there are so many great passages and revelations in this book. It reads like fiction, but we know it's true. Um, again, wonderful job by you Thanks. putting this together. The book is called Kennedy's Avenger, Assassination, Conspiracy, and the Forgotten Trial of Jack Ruby. Dan, great work. Always good to see you. You be well. Jack Ford, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks for tuning into Metro Focus. Take our award-winning program wherever you go with Metro Focus, the podcast. Listen and subscribe wherever you get podcasts so you never miss an episode. Or simply ask your smart speaker to play Metro Focus, the podcast. Also available at wliw.org radio and on the NPR One app.